We're turning to the seventh book of the Bible, Ruth chapter one. So meet me there. I got a story for you guys. I got a story. It involves a teacher and a kid. You know, I love stories with teachers. Um, I'm a teacher myself. So the story goes like this, right? And it's a true story. There was a kid who had a terminal illness, stage four cancer. And the kid was hopeless. Kid was sick, uh, vomiting, vomiting up parts of his insides, uh, going through many different types of treatments, had lost his hair. And in and out came these different teachers who were providing school for this kid who couldn't come into the building. Uh, and so this is something that happened way before the pandemic continues to happen. And the kid, right, all these different teachers would come and they were just so drained after seeing this child, so hopeless, they would send teacher after teacher after teacher. And one day this teacher came into the room, this one teacher, and he planned on teaching a lesson on nouns and verbs and all of that stuff. When he came into the room, he saw the kid, and he was shocked. He didn't know what to do. What do you do when you walk into a room and you see this kid that is, a, that is on the verge of death? What do you say to them? He didn't know. And so what did he do? He said, I'm just going to teach him nouns and verbs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the plan, and I'm just going to do what I came here to do. And he nervously went through the plan, acted like everything was normal, and just taught the kid nouns and verbs. The next day, the teacher came back. And the, kid, the, 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 the staff was like, what did you tell this kid? What did you do? Because they were so amazed at the progress that he had made that they were like, you came in, he was, he was not in a good place, and, and you went out, and he started getting better. What did you do? He said, I just taught the kid nouns and verbs. That's it. They're like, no, you couldn't have, you couldn't have done that. Later on, they would ask the kid. The kid would end up getting better and recovering, praise God. Real story, true story. And when they asked the kid... What, what gave you hope? He said they wouldn't send a dying boy, a teacher, who's going to teach him nouns and verbs. They wouldn't do that. If I was dying, they would not just continue to teach me things as if I was going to go on with my life and continue. And he had hope. And this story, the story reminds me of the book of Ruth. See, the book of Ruth, right, uh, is a story written like a play. There's about four acts, each chapter being one act, okay? And it's a dramatic play. It's a novella, if you can, if you, if you will. Uh, uh, but it's carefully crafted, and it carries you through. And the narrator is very, he's good at what he does. He tells his story in a way that has you hanging in the balance. It's a story that, as one pastor put it, is for people who wonder where God is when there are no dreams or visions or prophets. In fact, in this book, you will rarely hear the name of God mentioned. There's a reason for that. It's for people who wonder where God is when one tragedy after another attacks their faith 
Anybody feeling this right now? Anybody been going through tragedy after another, attack after attack? It's a story for people who wonder whether a life of integrity in tough times is worth it. And it's a story for people who can't imagine that anything great could ever come from their ordinary lives. You see, you don't see these big dreams and visions. You don't hear the name of God much. But what you do see is God painted all in and through the the lives of the characters that are mentioned in this story. It is a story for us today, people. This is a story for us today, church. I don't know how many of y'all know that your ordinary life can be used by God. You don't have to split no Red Sea or split the BQE. You don't have to... That just happened to rhyme. I came up with that on the spot. (laughs) Freestyling here. Uh, You don't have to do any of that. God can work in and through your most ordinary faithfulness. You showing up like a teacher before a dying child to offer simple hope by doing what you do every single day with integrity. And that is the story of Ruth. Now, today we're not going to get to the good part. All right? We're not. I just want to let y'all know, right? This is not going to be like the most uplifting time. But what I do want you to know is this, is that you should remain rooted in God when he brings tragedy in your life, knowing that he remains your king. You remain rooted. He remains your king. He got you. Listen, I want you to, you know, we're going old school today. So I want you to look at the person next to you and tell them it's not over. It's not over. All right. They're not feeling you. Turn to the next person on the other side and tell them. (laughs) Father God, pray with me, guys. Father, we, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. I thank you for the faithfulness of everyday people like Ruth, like Naomi and like Boaz who we'll see later on. And God, I pray that we would be people who trust you in the darkest of times, that when tragedy strikes, God, that we would remain rooted in you, knowing that you remain Eli Melech, God, our King. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Remain rooted in God when he brings tragedy because he remains your King. Listen, the story begins, right, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, and it tells us that in the days when the judges ruled. (laughs) Stop right there. Y'all didn't catch that. The judges was ruling. In other words, it was a wild time period. All right? During the time of the judges, in, in our English Bibles, the book of Ruth is right after the book of Judges. So if you just... Turn back one verse, you'll see how wild it is. All right? The time of Judges was a 400-year period in between that time when Joshua would lead the people into the promised land and, and, and before they would have a king. Because guess what? The people weren't satisfied with God being their king, so they wanted a king. And during that time, what we see is that the people of God are wilding out. They are not obeying the covenantal promises where God says, if you worship me, if you follow my commands, I will bless you. But if you do not, if you forsake me, I will, I will bring enemies upon you. I will, ha- I will bring curses upon you. And so that's where we find ourselves in 
today, in the time of the judges. But what the author begins to do here, right, as he's crafting this story, when the, when the readers would hear this in the time of judges, when they hear the next following verses, what they're thinking is, oh, snap, God is about to do something great in the midst of this tragedy. God is about to do something in the darkest of times. And I don't know how many of y'all know that it, God loves to work in the darkest of times. God loves to work in those moments where you think it's over. When you're in a, a cancer hospital and you think nothing's coming out of it. God loves to paint a beautiful picture on those dark backdrops. In the time of the judges. In fact, it was so bad that uh, the, the, the Bible tells us that in those days, this is Judges 21-25, there was no king in Israel. Every, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound like some, some time period that we know about? No? Sound like it's in me. See, the narrator gives us a glimpse into the hidden work of God during the most tragic of times. The book of Judges, it seems like all hope has been lost. The purposes of God have been trampled, and the people of God have not been the people of God. But what Ruth, what the, what the narrator is telling us in the beginning of Ruth is this, is that while everything seems lost, God is doing a hidden work in the background. He's doing a work. And I don't know what you're going through right now, guys. I don't want to trivialize your pain but God is working through whatever it is that you're going through. God is doing something. You may not be able to see it today. You may not even see it tomorrow, but he's working. He's working. And when you get to the big screen in heaven, I just imagine sometimes like God walking us through our lives, right? And showing us, you see this moment right here? When you, when, when you were down and out, I was working. I was doing it. When you were depressed, when you were struggling with to, to give into that temptation, I was working. I was there. Family, we need to know that God is still doing his work in the background. Deuteronomy 31.6, right? Deuteronomy 31.6 says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. See, everything around you may look terrifying. Everything around you may look messed up and jacked up, but God is still Emmanuel. He is still with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And if you are in the presence of God, you are in the safest place you can be. No matter how chaotic it looks around you, you are in. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had an all-state moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, forgive me, bro. <laughs> My mind is all over the place right now. But then the passage continues to tell us, right? Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Look at it. It says that uh, during the time of the, the judges' rule, there was a famine in the land. And so the, the family that we're about to see in a second, they would have understood famine to be a result of God. There's a lot of things that happen to cause a famine, Right? And so they would have seen the covenantal curses coming upon the people of God uh, in this time. 
And so during this famine, a family from Bethlehem, y'all got to see the irony here. Bethlehem means house of bread. They, they go from the house of bread, right? And they're having a famine. The very thing that we can often trust in. Bethlehem was a land that, had, that was full of wheat and barley and almonds and olives and all the Mediterranean diet that you could wish for, right? It had all of that. And they're struggling with a famine. See, the, the, the very things that we can trust in sometimes fail us. If we, if we don't know that right now uh, in, in the pandemic, right? That, that, that'd be surprising. Like right now, we, what we saw during this pandemic was this. Our health, our health was not a given. Our jobs is not a given, right? Our, our, our social lives, because you know those are taking a hit too. They're not a given. All of these things that we can place our confidence in, they, they can fail us. But you know who won't? God will never fail us. God will never fail us. And so there's a, during the time of the judges, there's a famine in the land. Uh, and it strikes a family from Bethlehem. So this man went to sojourn in the land of Moab. Excuse me, I lost my place. The man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, at this point in the passage, the narrator starts to allude to something. He samples from an old track, right? Where if you hear this wording, you hear this, this, this you're like, oh, snap, that reminds me of somebody. Check out Genesis 12, verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land, and there's, uh, there's still, sorry, so the famine was severe in the land. Starts there. So, now the narrator starts presenting this situation, where this, this family, he doesn't, he doesn't, he withholds the name for a sec, Right? He's saying they're going to sojourn in the land because there's a famine. And he's comparing it to the language would remind people of Genesis 12, 10, where the patriarch Abraham would have been going into the land of Egypt to seek refuge from a famine. All right, stick with me here. Because we, we're going to about to be introduced to this character that we think is like an Abrahamic-like figure. Okay, verse 2. The name of the man was Eli-Melech. Elimelech. But the, the name Elimelech, okay, is very significant here. Elimelech means my God is king. Oh, man, I wish I had some people here that knew that. My God is king. I love that it says my God is king. It's not this just far off statement like God is king about his position, but about a personal relationship that my God is king. And so Elimelech, okay, finds himself in a situation that's kind of ironic. My God is king. The passage continues to tell us that the name of his wife, Naomi, Naomi meaning pleasant, 
And the names of his two sons were Mahlan and Kilian. Now these two names, all the names in this story are very significant. Some more names. Mahlan and Kilian, if I'm saying it right, I don't know. Mahlan means sickness. And Kilian means like frail or wasting. So the Bible commentators tell us that what was happening was at the time, the famine was so severe that the, fa the family would have been worried for their kids and the effects that the famine would have had on them, that they named them, right, sickness and, and wasting based on the state that they were in. Family, we got to be careful of identifying way too closely with our tragedies lest we identify ourselves by them. Come on, now think, think about any parent that's going to name their kid Yellow Jaundice. Come on. Right, man. Tell them. Or, or, or what, what about a parent naming their kid NICU, not NICU, because they were in the NICU? They're, this is bizarre. It's odd. It's weird. And Elimelech, my God is king and pleasant, named their two kids based on the circumstances. But family, how many of us do that? How many of us look at our situation, look at our lives and say, that is what defines us. That failure is what defines us. That person who rejected me is what defines us. That abandonment that I experienced as a child is what defined me. My loss of job is what defines me. My sickness is what defines me. Let me tell you something. You are not defined by your tragedy. You are defined by my God is king. My God is king. Tells us they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, just giving us a little bit more context of where they're from. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. See the progression from verse 1 to verse 2. The family sojourns. They went into and they remained there. We better be careful. We better take notice when God takes a season of our lives and extends it for a period of time. In fact, the passage will go on to tell us that they were there for 10 years. They had an indefinite stay where, where at one point they just, you know, they had their visas and they just meant to come in and, and do their business and then go back after the famine was done. Now they have settled in that land. They have become comfortable in a foreign land. But, the audience is still, you know, the author doesn't really give us an opinion, what's a, how to feel about that. There's still this idea that maybe this Abrahamic-like figure is going to have an exodus. He's going to leave Moab, and he's going to do some great things. And then, verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. So now, so it went from he was the main character and he had a wife to Elimelech, the husband of Naomi. So he looking like, it, it, the story looks like it's going to be about him. And all of a sudden there's a shift and Naomi becomes the head of her home because her husband has died. And she is now a widow. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other, Ruth. And so 
Family, these more names, they mean something here, all right? Orpah, probably a fictitious name that was given to her. It means like back of the neck, okay? This is a weird name, I know. Um, but what it would have signified is, right, it would have signified that she was going to give the back of her neck to someone, which, to someone eventually. And we're going to see that later in the story. And basically what it means is that she was going to abandon Ruth, or Ruth, uh, means companion or refreshment. And so here's what you have now. Naomi can decide, with Elimelech dying, is my God still king? Is my God going to turn his back on me and abandon me? Or is he going to be my companion and my refreshment? And family, that's where we all are today. When we experience a tragedy, there is an opportunity, there is a temptation to think that God has abandoned us, that God has turned his back on his children. And there is an opportunity to remember that his presence remains. He is a companion. He is a, that friend that sticks closer than a brother. Now, real quick, I want to backtrack. The passage tells us that they took Moabite wives, right? Now, this is something that would have been prohibited by this, by, for the sons to do. Uh, because to, to intermarry with another nation wouldn't just be like cultures mixing like today. It would mean that you would take on their gods and that you would be compromised in your, um, your faith with God. You can't value God. You can't worship God in idols, in other words. So in the midst of the tragedy, do you believe that God has abandoned you or do you believe that he's turned his back on you? Or do you believe that he is a companion and source of refreshment? Because of Jesus, God will never abandon us. Because of Jesus, God will never abandon us. His final words, his disciples, one of his final words was, go and make disciples. All authorities have been given to me, so go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And... Sometimes it's the great omission and the great commission. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the days. When we remain rooted in God, out of faith that he remains with us, what we experience is refreshment and companionship and his promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. Is the other thing, John 15, 13, that it says that greater love has no one than this, that somebody laid down his life for his friends. God is our companion. He is our refreshment. He is the one who lays down his life for his friends. Now, back in those days, right, being a widow was difficult. Losing her husband would mean you know, losing some sort of security and protection, okay? 
They didn't have no 911 back then. So if something happened, you couldn't call anyone to protect you. But thankfully, Naomi still has her two sons. And, and they're adult sons. And so if something goes wrong, she could be protected. If, if they, they can grow now and take care of her and provide for her and make sure that she is well. But as you'll see, the story continues in verse 4. Verse 5, excuse me. And both Mahlon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So at this point, if you are re reading this story, right, if you're one of the original audience, you're furious. You're expecting hope. You're expecting this Abraham-like figure to come around, and then he dies. But you're like, all right, cool. But there's these, still these other guys that could, you know, bring something up, still could continue the legacy. There's still a possibility of, of a child being born to this family and their legacy continuing. But now all the males in the family are dead and all hope of redemption seems lost. Naomi is vulnerable and the hopes that the audience would have are shattered. The odds now of the story being redeemed seem impossible. I said seem. They seem impossible, but it is precisely from this particular place where God, in, God loves to show off his grace. God loves to show off his mercy. God loves to show off his power from this particular place. When you see that there are no men in the family and there's no heir and there's no seed and everything seems lost. And how is she going to be redeemed? And what's going to happen to Naomi? From this place, God is going to show off his power. And so church, as I close, I want to leave us with a few things to think about here. Tragedy will either lead us to despair and loneliness or trust in God to be present with us and do what he has promised. It will either lead us to think that he has abandoned us or to trust that he is present and will complete his promises. We can either get stuck in our tragedy, defining ourselves by it, or we can go through it trusting the hand of God who is mighty to save. The, the same God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The same God who brought his people through back then is the same God who will bring you through now. He is a faithful companion who brings refreshment to our souls. You may be going through some things right now. Okay? You may be going through something right now. But don't confuse it to mean that God has abandoned you. The enemy is going to whisper in your ear. You're going to feel it. People around the world are going to tell you it. Like, why are you still doing that? God ain't there. But family, it is not over. It's not over. Let's also remain firm in knowing he is able to do more than we can imagine. I want to challenge you to take some time this week to ask someone to pray with you 
for an area of your life where you're in need of healing. Going to God and people in prayer is an act of faith. It is an act of remaining rooted. Because instead of going and isolating yourself, feeling sorry for yourself, identifying so deeply with your pain that you can't see beyond it, what you are doing is you are inviting God and his people to work in and through your life so that you can experience that he is your king, that he is the one who heals and the hope that will never let down. See, when you believe in the sovereignty of God and trust he loves to work mightily for those who trust him, it gives a freedom and joy that cannot be shaken by hard times. And lastly, remember, Elimelech, Elimelech means God, my God is king. Y'all better take hope in the isness of God. He would not, he was, not was, not will be, but an ever-present, currently, is king. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And no matter what you're going through, he is still your king. He is still your redeemer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for working in and through our faithfulness, God. And help us to remain faithful to you, knowing that you remain our king. God, there's some people hurting right now and some people in need of healing. And I pray, God, that you would meet them where they are, that they would know this reality deep within their hearts. Be with us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.